In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is the I Spy Radio Show. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Keeping an eye on big government. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And now, here is your host, Mark Anderson. We have seen and are seeing wins against the political left. And I don't just mean wins from 2023. I mean recent court rulings in 2024 that, surprise, surprise, looks like they are foreshadowing a return to the rule of law and order and more wins in the battles ahead. If you've been paying attention to recent news, you're starting to see these patterns emerge. Could it be that Democrats are preparing for a potential and perhaps likely return of Donald Trump to the presidency? Because they are not only beginning to fear he might win, but that if he does, he might do what Biden has done, use the courts against his political opponents. So they are trying to defuse things now and knocking it off. Because there is nothing Democrats hate more is when someone does to them, which they so gleefully do to others. The real tell will be when courts suddenly start throwing out convictions against the January 6th political prisoners. And don't think that won't happen. Because imagine the terror sweeping through Democrats who helped steal 2020 and are terrified that they might get exposed. What would happen to them? What would they do to them? All I needed to know that 2020 was stolen was to see up close and personal, because it happened to me, the viciousness with which they, meaning all of them, the Democrats, the mainstream media, social media, the judiciary, the viciousness with which they attacked and censored anyone who disagreed with the results. That told me everything, that 2020 was, in fact, stolen. Why? Because no one who wins fairly and honestly does that. We have never done that as a country, certainly not in modern times. Bush won 2000. Did he and the Republicans and the few allies they had in the, in the media viciously attack Gore and anyone who dared question the results? No, they defended the outcome, but they didn't seek to censor the doubters or attack them. There is a huge difference between defending truth and attacking someone who questions that truth. And why wouldn't 2020 be stolen? There are literally trillions of dollars of slush funds that were at stake. And Trump was getting closer and closer to exposing it and putting an end to it. Look how they freaked out when Trump asked Ukraine about Biden's corruption. Again, people don't do that when they have truth on their side. Well, 2024 is going to be one heck of a ride. Catherine Engelberg joins us now. She is the president of True the Vote. Their mission is to support trustworthy, free, and fair elections and to empower citizens in such lawful efforts. You can find out more about them by heading to truethevote.org. And Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a real honor. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you guys are really literally on the front lines there fighting for uh, voter integrity all across the nation. But tell us a little bit about True the Vote and and what exactly you guys do. Sure. Well, True the Vote started... Uh, quite by accident, actually, uh, back in 2009 when a small group uh, decided we would go work at the polls. And um, that one experience led to us asking questions about why some of the things uh, were happening that we saw happening. And one thing led to the next, led to the next. Um, here we are now some, you know, nearly 15 years. Wow. 15 years later. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 
we are still asking some of the same questions mm. that we started with. Um, and, and, and that really is a, I think as a, you know, it's a testament to the, the place we find ourselves nationally. I mean, th- yes. there are, there are some common sense problems that could be addressed, but we have created a, a culture that has made it very difficult to, to really get, um, to really get to the bottom of, of some of the most, important issues of our day relative to what is the cornerstone of our country elections. So anyway, with all that said, uh, where we focus now is as a, we are 501c3 nonprofit organization uh, by structure, but we are focused on empowering citizens and organizations to take a stand uh, for, for themselves in local elections. And that takes many forms. We have a, a website that's got tons of training and resources um, we routinely do big research projects that 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 where in which we attempt to reveal some of the um, deeper problems that our system sets up for us all and and, and you know and each state manages in its own way but um, uh, we've got certainly a, a lot of work on the on the horizon for yes. the next 10 months. Yeah, and like you said, you're still dealing with some of the same problems that you were dealing with 15 years ago, and you would think over all that time it would get harder and harder to cheat and that we would be doing a better job, especially with the advent of technology. It should be a lot easier to find fraud, and, and yet all of these rules have been put in place to make it easier to commit fraud rather than harder to commit it. Um, you guys recently had a big win in Georgia that we'll come back to in the next segment, but why do people, mainly the media especially, still refuse to believe that the 2020 election was stolen or to even allow the possibility that it could have been stolen? You know, I think that that is, that is a question for the great psychiatrists and psychologists <laughs> and sociologists of our time. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how a level-headed person can look at all of the dynamics that were in play uh, even before 2020, but certainly in 2020, and and not come away scratching their heads about the possibility that there could have been problems that should have been further further evaluated. Um, I, I it, it it the only thing that really makes sense, given that you can't you have to totally take out uh, any kind of common sense you know rational thinking because that just doesn't fit any any calculation into how you could arrive at, at, at the notion that 2020 was fair that or, or mm. secure that, that the, the facts, you know, are on its face, uh, refute that. Then the only thing that's, that you're left with is that it's an organized, um, effort yes. by uh, a controlled, yep. uh, merely state run media to project, uh, a, a certain, a certain narrative onto, um, a, a far too trusting population and you know more and more of us are waking up there are you know millions and millions and millions of americans who see this for what it is but there are sadly still millions who don't and uh and that's that's now to the job of you know to every patriot to make sure that we are doing our best in our local communities to separate fact from fiction because the, the, the media is no longer our friend. I, I hate to say that, but it's just true. Well, I absolutely agree with you on that. And uh, some of the polls really are showing more and more people are believing that Joe Biden uh, and the Democrats and the deep state in particular did commit fraud in the 2020 election. So hopefully that will uh, continue to gain steam. Okay, so much more to talk about with Catherine Engelbrick of To The Vote, including their huge win in Georgia. We'll talk about that next. 
And welcome back. This is the I Spy Radio Show. We're talking today with Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote. True the Vote is a 501c3 nonprofit, which means that your donations are tax deductible. They empower organizations and individuals across the nation to actively protect the rights of eligible voters, regardless of their political party affiliation. And real quick, I mentioned there that uh, you guys empower organizations. The organizations that you work with, are any of those primarily Democrat organizations? You know, unfortunately, not to the best of my knowledge, no. Um, and I say unfortunately because in, in, in absolute truth and candor, it would be my heart's desire to say that that True the Vote has found a, a, a place on both the, re- the right and the left um, where, we, where we come together over the matters of election integrity that are not partisan. This is about principle and process. It's, it's not about politics or partisanship. But um, I have learned uh, the very hard way over many years that, in fact, election integrity is a hotbed of politics. Yes. And, and the, the Democrats have made it very clear, uh, at least the party has made it very clear that they uh, are not um, – are, are not backers of the work that we do. I wish that that weren't the case, but uh, to this point, they've not been huge fans. Well, and it really is disappointing because I'm right there with you. I really wish that Democrats would get on board with this. And it just seems kind of odd that Democrats who claim that they're out there defending democracy would be so completely unconcerned with election fraud. You would think that they would want to protect the sanctity of, of their own votes and to make sure that fraud doesn't get committed. And yet, you know, it leaves you with, with the thought that the only reason they're not committed to election integrity is because they are benefiting from the fraud. And so why fiddle with a system that apparently is working with you? Two weeks ago, you guys had a big win there in Georgia where you had been sued by Stacey Abrams, the second most famous election denier behind Hillary Clinton, Mark Elias, who was kind of the mastermind of election fraud, and the Biden Department of Justice. Uh, This lawsuit had been going on since 2020. So help out our listeners who may not be quite so familiar with this. What did you guys do that led to them deciding to sue you? We uh, had the audacious idea to suggest that citizens could use the state, the, the rights given to them by the state in their state election code to question the accuracy of the voter rolls. Um, we had the audacity to help citizens do that, and, and it, it drew the ire of all the, the, the list of the Legion of Doom there that you just read off. Um, it was back in 2020, in the immediate aftermath of the general election, where, where we, we were aware that Georgia's voter rolls were not in great shape, but to be honest, weren't fully apprised of just how bad it really was. We were not aware then as we are now that the state of Georgia only does a statewide review of its voter rolls once every other year in in the first six months of an odd year. So by way of example, that means that in 2023, first six months of the year, Georgia looked at its rolls decided if there were any that should be moved to an inactive status or anybody that had passed away, they do the one, the one state level sweep and then it's done. And so now fast forward coming into November where we have so many special interest groups that will be crawling all over the state, adding registrations, all of those go in in mass and are not checked again until the spring of 2025. Wow. Huge problem. Yeah. But we didn't really know all the ins and outs of it at that point. We, we quickly learned, however, because we did an analysis at, the, at, the, at a state level of the number of registrations that, that, that where people had themselves 
notified the post office that they had moved their permanent residence to a different address and that using you know commercial and 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 licensed databases that have been recognized by the Supreme Court this wasn't just you know us kind of guessing around it at a process this was an, an accredited process that we followed and what we came away with um, even after quality control checks to try to winnow the number down was still in excess of 364,000 inaccurate mm-hmm. records based on residency. And so we worked with citizens across the state who were very anxious to present these findings to their counties because the state, as I mentioned, affords a process for citizens to take that that information, present it to their counties, and then the counties can evaluate whether or not they believe that that um, the data is accurate and then can submit what is called in Georgia law a challenge so that when the to the record so that if a voter shows up to vote and only if a voter shows up to vote they would be notified that their record has been challenged and they need to prove that that they live where they say that they live because these were all residency based challenges and it should be it should have been a very low bar because in Georgia you have an ID requirement that shows that 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 requires that you prove you you are who you say you are you live where you say you live so it really should have been very much a, oh you know if it was a mistake by way of example again if it was a mistaken uh, a mistakenly challenged record it could have been easily cleared up sure because you're the, you know you were ID there and, presi- yeah. yeah and you're done and you're done uh, but of course if you are mailing in a ballot and you're mailing it in from out of state well that's a it's a different matter and it takes a few extra steps but but again you're preventing um, ineligible voters from voting and that was the idea mm-hmm. um, should but should have been a very clean process so clean in fact that I I wanted to just make sure that that we were not putting an undue burden on counties because it was close to an election uh, they had if you recall they had the runoff election January the 5th of 2021 which right. decided the the fate of the of the Senate so you know Georgia was very much the epicenter of the political world at the time so I went a few days before we announced the project and, and submitted any these challenges via citizens, I went and I visited with the Georgia Secretary of State and his staff and explained what we had been working on and, and wanted to get their, effectively their blessing that, that that this all seemed to comport with what they knew to be true about the roles and what they um, understood in, in the way of um, process related to the filing of challenges, because in Georgia, most states have some provision that allows a citizen to challenge ineligible records. Georgia uniquely has two, one that is a sort of a longer form process, and then and then this challenge process that I'm describing that, that the state allows to be challenges to be filed up to the day before an election. And we didn't want to get, you know, we, we did not want to do a gotcha. We really wanted to make sure that Every box was checked as well as it could be, and that's why we went and met with the Secretary of State. And and the outcome of that meeting was absolute support for what we were doing. Uh, uh, Raffensperger, in fact, commented, you know, the GOP should have been doing this all along. Uh, he right. knew that the rolls weren't clean. He said, yeah, 364,000, That because I was concerned that that was just such a big number, and it's, you know, clearly it's going to make headlines, and that's not our our goal was not to take a shot at the state it's just a problem and it needed to be addressed and and this is where we landed sure. and he and said no that number it, well, he just he said well the number you know about 11% of the country moves every year and he just did some you know back of the envelope kind of math and said yeah that number's 
that number's about right. Um, they had themselves were in at the time of that meeting were also <laughs> in a lawsuit uh, against Fair Fight. So his excuse for not having to claim the roles was twofold. The first was that the NBRA, in his um, evaluation of the National Voter Registration Act, he believes prevents them from doing anything differently than what they currently do relative to maintaining the voter rolls, which is that every six months and odd year situation. I vehemently disagree, but that's his approach. And then secondarily, they themselves, the state was, had also been sued by Fair Fight. And so that was the additional reason that they gave for not doing more to maintain election or, or record integrity because of this lawsuit that sort of froze them in place. So, well, it's, it's just—it's just crazy. I mean, he's right. Is that the yeah. GOP should have been out there enforcing these voter rolls, uh, but so should the Democrats. And it's just absurd That's that neither right. one of them were doing this. All right, uh, let's go and take a break. There, lots more to talk about with Catherine Engelbrecht of To the Vote. Stay with us. Back. We're talking with the president of True the Vote, Catherine Engelbrecht, and uh, you can find out more about them by heading to truethevote.org, truethevote.org, and we'll link that up on iSpyRadio.com. Today's show page is 14-03, and we've been talking about your uh, big win there in Georgia, and, and just some more follow-up questions on that. You know, obviously, this was designed to intimidate you guys, and not just you guys, but anybody that would dare to ask any questions. But what was at stake if you guys lost, both for you guys personally as an organization? Uh, I mean, were they seeking jail time to fine and silence you or, or what? And, and then on a policy level, what would they have gained and, and what would the election integrity side have lost? Well, it's, it, it's interestingly still sort of a murky answer that is the best that I can give you because their, their prayer for relief, their, what they were seeking from us uh, appeared to be sort of a – a mashup of they wanted us to they wanted the court to order us to no longer be able to work in Georgia. Uh, mm. They wanted to um, the court to rule that the challenges were illegal with the bringing in of the Department of Justice. They wanted to find us guilty under 11B of the Voting Rights Act, which was a um, a standard of voter intimidation. And that could have opened us up to uh, 11B. I mean, there's so much, you know, frankly, broadly, the subject of election integrity and, and, and the, the management of election process and, and the evaluation of what could be election fraud, I, I often liken all of it to harvesting fog. Hmm. You see fog everywhere, but when you try to pick it up and make sense of it, it just slips through your fingers. And, and this lawsuit was really no different. So, you know, they, but, but the reason I believe that they didn't really worry about getting a perfectly curated um, prayer for relief in the, as defined in the suit was that their goal was, you know, in the filing of that suit and hurting us, which they did for over three years, you know, divide or attempted to, to, to divide our time, to drain our resources and to send a broader message, first, first and certainly to our organization, but to any other organization or individual who was watching, because what they what they want the takeaway to be is, don't you dare right. ask questions. Don't you dare, because you will be drug into court and it will be a multi-year, million-dollar-plus adventure 
that would that will make you wish you never asked questions mm. and that is why you know for many points along along the way we could have settled we could have gotten out of it but that was not what we wanted to be a part of i mean we had to fight this to the finish for america for americans we you know as you're seeing as you're seeing in the state of oregon sure. uh yeah. the, I, I was just the desire say- to shut down yeah the desire to shut down debate and and close off questions is is everywhere, yep. and we yep. cannot allow that to take root. We must, you know, continue to flex our muscles and stay strong and stay engaged. And sometimes that's a that's a it's a long and painful battle, yes. but you've we got to do it. There's no yes. choice. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to raise that point there, but you beat me to it. Is that that is definitely something we're facing here in Oregon? Don't you dare ask any questions, and we'll talk about that later on here. But you know, one of the plaintiffs against you was the Department of Justice. I mean, it just seems like such a weird, surreal situation where organizations like yours trying to ensure laws are followed end up being sued by the very government that is supposed to be defending and upholding those laws. Uh, yes. And it's um, sadly, that's not our first experience in that regard. No. Uh, you know, prior to starting True the Vote, I had never been in court um, since starting True the Vote. Since 2009, I've never been out. Wow. There have been lawsuit after lawsuit. This is not our first go-round with the Department of Justice. Uh, it is our first, I believe, I'd have to kind of stop and think about it, with the Biden Department of Justice. But certainly under the Obama uh, Department of Justice, we we uh, suffered much of the same. And it's, it's just brute force intimidation at the hands of the government. And... Um, you know, it's 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 breathtaking to behold, and I still feel, even after all of these years, I, if it if it weren't happening to me, and I was just hearing the stories, I don't know that I could believe it because it is so. It is it is it is such such the opposite of what most people believe could be happening in America. But I I am here today to tell you that the censorship and the the intimidation of the patriot, the person who wants for a a transparent and trustworthy process, those individuals and organizations are absolutely under the thumb of, of the Biden administration. Yeah, and, and that's such a shameful situation that patriots trying to defend this country and defend the integrity of our elections, they're the enemy. And it's just shocking that that's where we're at now. Um, I have some rather big questions here, so let's take a break a little bit early here. Everyone stay with us. Lots more with Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote. Uh, you can find out more about, about them by heading to truthevote.org, and we'll link that up on today's show page 14-03. Stay with us. Our guest today is Catherine Engelbrecht. She is the president of TrueTheVote.org, an organization that is out there on the front lines protecting the rights of eligible voters. Find out more about them by heading to TrueTheVote.org. They are a 501c3 nonprofit, so any donations that you have, they are tax deductible. And Catherine, looking back at 2020, we had a bunch of rules uh, that were changed prior to the election. Uh, I think a lot of them illegally. Some of them have since been uh, overturned by courts. Have there been significant changes, you think, uh, to election rules to prevent a repeat of 2020? 
Yes. Now, clearly not as not as extensive as you know, many of us would like, but there is reason for great hope and we should focus on the wins. Uh, and there are many it's states like Georgia and uh, Wisconsin is another great example uh, that have done away with drop boxes. Georgia has drop boxes, but only inside of buildings. Uh, Wisconsin um, has gotten rid of, of drop boxes entirely. So that's good. that's an example of, of a good win. Absolutely. We've got states, you know, we've got states that are. Uh, rolling back uh, what what previously was just wholesale mail out ballots, now they are reinstituting um, standards for um, ex- what what are called excuse absentees. So you have to give a reason for why you need that ballot. Again, I know some of this is is not what happens in Oregon, so it's you know not not the, not the norm in your state, but but in other states you've got to give reasons, and that's how it's been for you know decades. They're moving back to those standards. We're seeing states that are um, re-upping their standards for photo voter identification and, and either either pressing in in the continued use, which was in so many ways peeled back and, and disregarded in 2020, or they're taking up new standards to see photo voter identification laws passed in their state. But the best thing, bar none, that has happened since 2020 is is not going to be found in the writings of of our legislatures it's it's in the hearts and minds of american mm. people and i mean that very sincerely people are awake and they're asking questions and they want to be involved so much of what has happened um to destabilize our process over the years so much of that has happened because americans just you know, we're very trusting and we just believe that, well, it's probably being handled. Most of America seems to run okay. This is probably no different. Um, it's, I'll go vote and it looks like everything's probably fine. And you just don't, you just don't take a, a you know, any deeper peek behind the covers. And um, 2020, I think, taught lots of Americans, you know, a very valuable lesson. And it's, and it's one that they've not forgotten. And so now we're seeing people so willing to volunteer, so willing to engage in trying to keep their voter rolls clean, talking to their legislatures about um, better practices. And, and that's this is, you know, we're going to we're going to get well the same way we got sick. It's, hmm. it's not going to be overnight. But but if we stick together, there's nothing that we can't do. There's no reason that we cannot return our process to be a standard for the free world. We have a long way to go, but we can do it. Well, I, I think you mentioned a really important point there, which is this notion of people waking up to the fact that there was cheating and there's certainly the potential for cheating. Uh, and that's something that we uh, have been talking about the, starting in 2024 here is the need for people to get involved. And I think that is always a, a challenge to get people involved. But as far as that victory is, is concerned, do you think or do you maybe get the sense that uh, the Biden administration and the deep state uh, bureaucrats realize that the jig is up, that they can't steal things again, uh, certainly not the way they did in 2020, and, and not be so exposed that even everyday normal people would notice. I don't I don't um, I don't believe that those individuals who had their hooks into 2020 and did all that they could to exploit the process for their own gains. And and that that, you know, starts somewhere at the front of the line with the bogus media narrative and and 
the weaponization of the Department of Justice, uh, you know, certainly as we're seeing now against President Trump and, and anybody that, that dares, again, to, to speak out. You've, you've got that sort of freedom of speech issue that that sets in motion so many of the other pieces yes. of this that right. um, that all then work together to find us in a very um, a very upside down world. But the I don't I don't think that they um, believe that uh, it's outside of their grasp to do it again in mm. 2024. I, I think we're we're beginning to see um, the the same plays and the same playbook. Uh, dusted off to be used again. But in my experience, um, what a totalitarian mind can't conceive of is the free will and spirit of people who who are driven by a, a longing for liberty that that is well beyond any sort of you know um, collective cut and paste, march in line, uh, crackdown that, that this government seems to have in store for us. They're just, Americans just aren't going to go, go along with it. Hmm. it. It's, you know, and they would be well served to, the, the government would be well served to not push Americans too far into this because uh, we all certainly want to live in a peaceful environment, but you, you, you can't continue to erode elections and not expect for Americans to at some point say enough is enough. Right, and exactly, and, and catch on and say we're just not going to take this anymore. Okay, um, right. uh, another big question here coming up, so we're going to take a break a little bit early. Everyone stay with us. We'll continue with Catherine Engelbrecht. She is the president of True the Vote. Visit them at truthevote.org. Stay with us. This is the I Spy Radio Show. We're talking today to Catherine Engelbrecht. She is the president of TrueTheVote.org, an organization out there on the front lines protecting the rights of eligible voters. I can find out more about them and some of the uh, trainings that they have and, and lots more information there at TrueTheVote.org, TrueTheVote.org. And so, Catherine, in doing the research for the show, I came across a video from seven years ago. In fact, almost seven years ago to the day you were giving an interview and you said that the reason that election fraud is so hard to quantify and hard to find fraudsters is because the fraud has become institutionalized. And you gave Obamacare as an example, and I'd totally forgotten about this aspect of Obamacare, but when people registered for Obamacare, and at the time you, uh, the figure you gave was something like 12.7, 12.3 million, somewhere in there, they can also register to vote, and that uh, registering to vote was based solely on self-attestation. And that registration was then piped directly to their home state with no checks on eligibility to vote, like citizenship, Worse, if states then tried to determine the eligibility of those voters coming from Obamacare, they could be then sued by the federal government. Okay, so that was 2017. First, has that been addressed? And and second, I thought there were federal laws in place where states are obligated to keep the voter rolls clean. So what about that disparity there? Uh, great questions. Um no, that the first answer is no. It's not any better. In fact, it's worse. Uh, mm. Let me frame it for you in uh, with the backdrop of the federal law that both catalyzes and um, avoids catalyzes the registration and, and avoids the the need to make sure that those registrations are accurate. So, in the National Voter Registration Act, which was the very first bill passed into law by uh, Bill Clinton and in, into his first uh, term. Um, 
he inside the, the bill itself was supposed to be a a bipartisan win and it set out to define standards on a number of fronts relative to election process and there's two particular that relative to your again relative to your question that we should look at the first is section 7 of the National Voter Registration Act that says any social service program so it can be the affordable care act it can be social security food stamps driver's licenses or department of motor vehicles any kind of social service that is extended to the to the american population must have as part of its application for service a voter registration application wow this this the second thing that they did in that standard under the obama administration which was which was a, a novel twist um was prior to the Obama administration, in order to register for a social service and register to vote, you had to opt in to register to vote. So you had to say, yes, I want food stamps and I want to register to vote. Now, under the Obama, because of the Obama administration changes, you have to, as an applicant for a program, you must know to opt out. Wow. Otherwise, it happens automatically. Yep. And this creates all manner of problems because... Because while Section 7 is heartily enforced by the now weaponized Biden Department of Justice, Section 8, which was the bipartisan element of this bill, which was the, the, basically the, what the Republicans were, were vying for in the bill, trying to, to say, that's fine, we can register everybody, that's great, but you have to keep the voter rolls clean. That way we are offsetting any inaccuracies by a... Uh, defined and consistent uh, maintenance routine run on these databases. And sadly, that has just been left to, you know, to rot on the vine. To dust. I yeah. mean, it just, it's right. It's just, it's just not done. And when states do attempt to clean their roles, because the problems are so extensive, like what we saw in Georgia with 364,000 based on just residency changes alone, um, when states do attempt to clean their roles, the Department of Justice, particularly under Obama and Biden, are very quick to jump in and claim voter intimidation and voter disenfranchisement and sue. And so states and secretaries of state tend to just, you know, keep their heads down and just hope that hope <laughs> hope that nobody complains wow. and that they'll just get through another election cycle and you know, and so it goes. We just kick the can further down the road. And that, again, is why the only thing that will save us is is the is the power and passion of the American citizen to say, look, this is a mess. We got to clean it up. It may not be easy, but it must be done and just start nipping away at these types of problems. And and there's no place more important, I don't believe, than that very front door, which is the voter rolls. If you've got bad voter rolls, the rest of the process is going to be corrupt. Oh, oh, absolutely. And of, of course, now the fear is that we've got eight or 10 million illegals, probably even more than that, coming across who have been given free health care. Uh, I assume you just signed up for Obamacare. Do you know if they are also being registered to vote uh, via that same pipeline for fraud? Uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, they are being registered to vote. Now, I would like to believe that you have um, thoughtful, let's, you know, to use the term navigators, remember that word, the navigators that went out and got these applications right. from everybody? That, right. 
you would like to believe that they are asking questions of the applicants, uh, whether or not they're a citizen and, and trying to answer that honestly. But all of these, certainly that's not the case with every group that's out there that are absolutely looking for ways to bloat the voter rolls. That's that's their their M.O. I mean, that's what they want to see happen is as many new names added to the registration rolls as they possibly can. Plus, all of these um, setups have uh, exist on, online. And if you don't have to give a Social Security number or a driver's license, all you have to do is register for the program. And you don't have states with the wherewithal to 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 evaluate what's being piped into them. I mean, it's just a, it's just an absolute recipe for disaster. Oh, and there's no reason for it. There's no re- in private industry. Companies evaluate identity, residency, and citizenship in real time, all day, every day. It's just a function of doing business in certain market sectors. And so to see the deplorable state that our elections and our voter rolls have been been diminished to, uh, again, this goes all the way back to the beginning of our, of our talk today. How can a person looking through, the, through a filter of common sense come away with anything other than the belief that this is being done intentionally right. to undermine our, our republic. Oh, absolutely. And it certainly explains why they have left the border wide open. Uh, they right. probably assume that they're going to need at least another 10 million fake votes to, to cheat this time. Okay, uh, we're up against a break. Everyone stay with us. Coming up in the next segment, we'll do a little myth-busting. Stay with us. And welcome back in our final segment now with Kevin Engelbrick. She is the president of True the Vote. You can find out more about them at truethevote.org. They're out there fighting for election integrity on your behalf, and uh, they would love some donations to help them uh, continue that fight. She is constantly in court. Their organization is to defend your your rights. And so, Catherine, I'd like to do some quick myth-busting here. Uh, let's start with this one. Dead voters don't vote. Well, sadly, it's been proven time and again that dead voters do vote. Um, you know, it, what I think you you hear and, and is a, a, a myth is that the numbers of dead voters voting are huge. They're not huge. Um, they're not tens of thousands of dead voters in a, in a state uh, voting. But could it happen because they're on the rolls and and there's no check and balance to prevent it? Sure. And 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 do each cycle um, we see. Um, election fraud occur because ballots are cast in the names of dead people? Yes. So it's, it's you know, it's sort of um, death by duck bites, and that's just one more bite. And what about phantom voters? Uh, for example, um, illegal aliens that get registered to vote, they certainly don't vote. <laughs> yeah, phantom voters and ineligible voters who are casting ballots uh, is, is, I think, the biggest problem that we face. If we are not evaluating identity and, and, and not anchoring the accuracy of our, of our voter records around the provable identity of that voter, then you open wholesale the door for phantom voters who can be totally made up from thin air. If, you, if you're not required to provide a social security or a driver's license to register to vote, you can put any name in and find yourself on the voter roll list. And, and that very much qualifies in my mind as a, as a phantom voter um, because they're being fabricated, you know, out of thin air. Hmm. Well, I, I certainly think phantom voters are certainly the way to cheat um, because, you know, we saw that with all the, the, the ballot harvesting and everything else, the mules and, and all that. 
Um, here's another one. A chain of ballot uh, of custody doesn't really matter. Uh, once ballots are dropped in the voter box, they're totally safe and will be counted fairly. And there's no possible way that uh, they can be intercepted or stolen or lost or yeah. substituted. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another uh, that's that's another you know, sad misunderstanding of the process. We, we must have chain of custody. It, it is critically important. And in fact, I would submit you should not be able to, if you're, if you cannot prove the, the custodial trail of ballots, you should not be able to count those ballots and therefore potentially not certify the election. It must, we, you must have a check and balance at every point along the process. I'll t- give you a quick example of what we saw in Georgia. Just one Dropbox, that, that, because it was so difficult to get the video, but we, we actually got video in one instance for an uninterrupted period of time, which was very difficult. But for a 24-hour period, we sat and watched, and, and we watched at this one Dropbox approximately 200 and some odd voters come up and cast what appeared to be, because you can see on video, approximately 450, 500 ballots. Now, that's questionable in and of itself that many people had, you know, m- many ballots. But but getting to your question of chain of custody, when you look at the chain of custody documents, which existed in, in, in many parts of Georgia, didn't exist at all. In this particular instance, the chain of custody documents did exist. But they said that 1,600, I'm going to get the number wrong, 1,964 ballots had been counted. Mm. So the ability to spot that problem, but then come back and, and find the, the culprit, we, we, as we found it, we submitted a complaint to the state. Of course, they did nothing. But that's at least a shred of an example of why chain of custody is important, because if you have other relevant pieces to the to the puzzle, you can identify that oh that shouldn't that number couldn't have been that because of the other variables that occurred further upstream if you don't have chain of custody then then it's just a free for all it is it is absolutely lawless and you 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 we can't allow that to occur the way that you prevent it is you have citizens who are engaged working in the process well trained to understand that chain of custody must be uh, trackable there are in every process, there are documentation handoffs that should be occurring, and we just have to be ready to hold that line mm-hmm. as volunteers or as as you know as um, temporary employees of the process. Yes. Um, so this is a, a question from a listener. Have you done your own investigation uh, into Oregon in particular, and have you found anything off about the numbers? Uh, 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 and and um, he was also specifically wondering how the tabulator machines are calculating under normal patterns. Are you seeing anything odd there? Well, Oregon, you know, I just, I love the state of Oregon. It's such a beautiful state. Yes, it is. Your, your election process is such a mess. And, yes. um, <laughs> uh, it's, and it's really, really heartbreaking. I think one of the most difficult parts of, of uh, what we've experienced with Oregon is the lack of willingness to respond to open records requests or respond in full. And um, it makes it very difficult to piece together what's really happening. Mm. Uh, And certainly when you're an all male state and you don't have, you know, clear ID requirements necessarily, it, 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 it's a compounding problem. So, yeah, I think that Oregon's, got a lot of problems. I think that the way that your system is set up, it is engineered to obfuscate 
um, yes. a lot of, of the inaccuracies and it makes it very difficult to the, to get to the bottom of, of really what's happening. And, and that to, to correct that would require a wholesale um, reverse engineering of your process and in addition of transparency metrics around every step to to really be able to to get a full picture because it's, it's so much of it is cloaked in ways that you can't you can't evaluate oh, oh, um, absolutely um you know we, we've got uh, two lawsuits right now here in oregon um one may be headed to the supreme court and uh if it gets there it's it has the potential to uh, upend all of this mail-in ballots, uh, and um, so uh, unfortunately, we don't have time to cover that. However, I do uh, would like to talk to you about a second suit. Oregon has an artificial intelligence-powered censorship and free speech suppression uh, program in place to track and report anything the Democrats in charge view as misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation about the elections, and has been in place since at least 2022, uh, which is one of the more recent revelations. The state is claiming that no speech will be altered as a result of this, and it's up to the plaintiffs to prove it. Uh, conversely, the state does not have to prove that it is going to harm any free speech, which just boggles my mind. Uh, there are 23 states in total, all of them Democrat-led, that have similar surveillance uh, of its citizens for any kind of election wrong speak. Can, can you comment on this, and is this something that you guys are fighting? Um, I'd love to take a look at the at the suit, and I am I am very in favor of anything we can do preemptively to bring these questions now and, and force, force them to be debated uh, prior to the election, because after the election, it's, it's far too late. Mm. And so I, I, I think that this is, you know, this is well-timed and I look forward to, to reading it, but the, 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 um, the need to press for preemptively for, uh, transparency for accuracy for clarity for for um parity of of provision of of data for example there are so many um leftist third party organizations that have access uh, to to APIs that give 24/7 access to the voter rolls and that allow them to um press in their own uh, or submit their own voter registrations and taking from their apps that go straight into the voter files. You know whether or not that's happening in Oregon, I, I couldn't tell you with certainty, but I suspect it likely is. All of those things should be evaluated, yes. and if and if and if Oregon is giving access like that, then it should be um, given on a on a fair basis to you know, pro-liberty organizations yeah, yeah. that well, want to participate. Nothing says democracy like a panel of only Democrats running the elections division who have yeah. the power of government to decide whether or not to censor and silence the opinions of their political opponents. Unfortunately, we are up against the clock. Catherine, we would love to talk to you again sometime in the near future, and, and good luck with all of your efforts to provide election integrity for all of us. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. We sincerely hope 2024 is the year you get involved to defend your rights like free speech which includes the ability to speak freely about elections and to choose a candidate of your choice. The key to getting involved, if you haven't before, is to take small steps. And one simple step is to support those already in the fight. True the Vote is one to support for sure. Legal battles are extremely expensive and they can use the help. TrueTheVote.org, TrueTheVote.org. And on a local level, you can help fight back against Oregon and their attempts to censor whatever they deem to be misinformation about the election. Head to battlegroundoregon.org, battlegroundoregon.org. Although, why do one when you can do both? Be a champion. Because, as we say every week, the best information is you no good if you don't use it. Reagan, what do you think? 
I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. It's more than a show. It's self-defense. The I Spy Radio Show.